Welcome back to Pod is a Woman, an honest, unfiltered conversation about the current state of politics and pop culture from three veterans of the Obama White House, who also happen to be friends. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. As the Biden transition team continues to make appointment announcements, there was one in particular that hit extra close to home for us, and that was the announcement of an all-female senior White House communications team. So today, we want to talk to you guys about the implications of these hires and how this team will be key to resurrecting the daily White House press briefing. But first things first, let's talk about who these women are. So let's start with Kate Bedingfield. I know she was just named White House Communications Director, and we all worked with her. That's true. We're so excited to have her on. And she is one of the people who have been following the Biden campaign. No, because she's done a number of morning shows, and she's been out front talking about the mission of the campaign. Yeah, so Kate's been with the Bidens for a long time and I think brings a familiarity with how President Biden will want to communicate with the American people. The role of communications director is really to set an agenda of how to communicate with storytellers, right? So I know we'll go into the dynamics of the press and the White House administration relationship, but Kate is very known quantity. And then we have Jen Psaki, who we all also worked with um, during our Obama years and on the campaign. And she's going to be the White House press secretary. So she'll be the face, essentially, of this new administration. So Jen has been around for a long time in the Obama orbit. She was actually on the first campaign with us. She flew around in the plane everywhere. Then she was on, during the economic uh, recession, she was deputy communications director, really working on shaping President Obama's communications. And now uh, she served actually as State Department spokesperson before she came back to the White House as communications director, had her two babies, served as a CNN commentator for the duration of the campaign, and now now will be the face that you see at the podium for any of the press conferences. So that'll be Jen Psaki. Of course, during the Obama administration, we did not have a female press secretary. That is so true. And now she's also followed up by a principal deputy press secretary in Corinne Jean-Pierre. Communications director for the First Lady is Elizabeth Alexander. We also have senior advisor and chief spokesperson for the vice president, Simone Sanders, who a lot of people recognize because she has been very active as a commentator on cable news, but also worked very closely in that role for Bernie Sanders' presidential run. That's right. Well, and Ashley Etienne, who we also all worked with, is going to be Vice President Harris's communications director. And last but certainly not least is Pili Tobar, who is Deputy White House Communications Director, a Latina who also worked at America's Voice prior to working on the campaign, which is an immigrants' rights organization. So look, like we have all seen the extraordinary talents of these women, and they are undeniably extraordinarily qualified for these posts. And I also think that it's significant that the first large-scale rollout for this Biden-Harris transition team is of this all-female communications team. Now, Alejandra and Johanna, both of you worked in comms in some capacity. Talk to me a little bit about why this is so important. Well, it's interesting because I was chuckling. Mina Harris, who's Kamala Harris's 
niece, she posted a photo of these women and she said, this is literally the office of, quote, I'm speaking, uh, alluding to the very <laughs> uh, famous comment that Kamala Harris made in that debate. And that is a really good point because, you know, when you think about the tone and the nature of White House communications, you know, we all sat there and those meetings with Jay Carney and we had daily press briefing meetings, you know, in the afternoons and and almost the evenings sometimes talking about the news of the day. But, you know, when you're talking about the responses a communication is going to have, the kind of talking points that are going to permeate across the administration, across the agencies, you know, to have all women in these senior roles that are really guiding, again, how we communicate all of this information that we know, especially around COVID, is going to be huge. You know, the kind of language you use, the kind of frame we use, it is really saying something that the Biden transition team has come out really swinging with this slate of strong, capable, and very diverse women. Oh, yeah. And moms. I remember being very pregnant. And when we do these uh, wrap up meetings in the evening, Alejandra, you remember if I would get there late because I was very pregnant, like all of the men would try to like shuffle to figure out, oh, God, she needs a seat. But like there's three seats in the (laughs) there's like a couch and then two chairs in the press secretary's office. Or it's like Jay Carney being like, oh, take my seat. (laughs) It's like that's literally your desk. So it was always a little awkward and I remember even a man who they had a kid after I had a kid being like I remember watching you in those meetings and it it being like oh my god I can't even imagine and Jay had older kids but you know Jen and Kate both have young kids and Jen to her credit when Sarah Huckabee Sanders as a mom was going up to the podium actually said I'm thrilled to see a mother in this role so I'm particularly excited about that I think they've got the right empathy for this moment That's right. And, you know, I'm seeing a female perspective now being displayed, and it's going to shape the lens in which we see this administration's initiatives and and set the tone for what we're hearing from a President Biden and a Vice President Harris in this administration. I do want to speak to the fact that our deputy White House communications director is now going to be a Latina, which I think is also really significant. I worked as White House deputy director of Hispanic media. And before my time in the White House, there was not a Hispanic media team. There was not a dedicated staff focus on Spanish language media or messaging to the U.S. Latino community, which is a huge responsibility for someone to be doing all of these different constituencies and trying to do them well, which is what was the case before. There was somebody who did African-American media and Hispanic media and LGBTQ media. The Obama White House really prioritized separating these things into different lanes and being very intentional about how you communicate in a way that's culturally competent. And so this role, obviously, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that it doesn't exist now in the Trump White House. And I imagine it will be brought back, hopefully, in a Biden administration. But this role is not just about translating talking points or so on. This is about ensuring that the president sits down with Spanish language television stations and radio stations and magazines, making sure that Spanish language reporters are in the press briefing room and get their questions answered. Because as we saw, Trump would often call on the people he wanted to. But even if it's a president that isn't so much playing favorites, there is an order by which these questions come. And so to have Again, a deputy communications director that's not even necessarily focused on Hispanic media, but has a deep understanding 
of how important it is for constituency media, not just Hispanic, but also our African-American media outlets and so on, for constituency media to have a seat at the table, again, is going to make sure that the administration is held accountable by journalists that have very different perspectives. It's also about developing trust. Well, it's about developing trust, but to both of your points, when it comes to having people who look like you in this space and holding these top positions, you're seeing, you know, black people represented, Latinos represented, you're seeing, you know, LGBTQ people represented. And it says you have a voice in this administration. You have a place here. And what a powerful statement this makes. Yeah. Look, this is not going to be all the people that it takes to run a press office. And that's one thing, you know, that the job of the press office, which is probably most represented in our media because they're the people communicating the most with the press, their job is to communicate the president's story with the storytellers. And the storytellers are constantly evolving. The way the media is represented in the U.S. is constantly evolving. I mean, clearly, if we look back at the press briefing room or any of these senior positions 50 probably 70 years ago, they're all men, right? They're all white men, both the storytellers and the staffers that were talking to the storytellers. And so this is the opposite in many ways um, because it is so diverse. They are extraordinarily qualified for these jobs. They have been waiting in many cases for years. Jen has really was there for all eight years of the Obama administration. Jen Psaki was while, you know, Robert Gibbs was the press secretary, while Jay Carney was the press secretary, where while Josh Ernest was the press secretary. And I think, you know, she has the skill set to communicate a president Biden's agenda to the American people, to the uh, storytellers and develop a level of trust with them that's going to be critical for him to get things done. What a difference it's going to be from our last press secretary. I mean, when you're looking at the kind of energy that Kelly McEnany brought into the room and the the defensiveness and also right. just an inaccessibility. So, you know, as we're looking at how this team is going to change in this next administration, it's not just going to change the face and, and the access, but it's also just going to change the dynamic. Our daily press briefings, not only have they kind of gone away under the Trump mm-hmm. administration, but when they do come, they're they're very loaded and dramatic. Well, it should have been just a part of the daily activities of reporting what is taking place in the administration to the American public. And I mean, let's go back to when it was the Obama administration and previous administrations and the importance of that press briefing room and the daily press briefing In total, you look at how close the proximity of upper press and lower press to the Oval Office, the closeness of the press briefing room to the Oval Office. And a lot of people don't know this. And for our listeners who have never been to the West Wing or maybe to the White House like we were before we started at the White House, that press briefing room is, number one, tinier than you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Number two, built on top of a swimming pool. It's named after James Brady, who was the press secretary during the Reagan administration. It was actually um, disabled due to an attempted assassination on President Reagan, and he was shot and permanently disabled. It's named after him, and that press briefing room is so important 
to the daily activities of the White House. Well, I remember the first time I saw it was on Inauguration Day in 2009. And I walked in and I thought, this is so much smaller than it looks like on TV. (laughs) You have no idea when you're watching on TV that it's actually very compact. Um, You know, there's just, in fact, they lost seats in the renovation. And that's a whole, like, whose seat is whose is uh, really fiercely debated by the White House Correspondents Association, and they are labeled with the news outlet of which seat it is. So anytime, you know, we had to do anything that would be different than what the White House press corps was used to, for example, if there were constraints on a room that the president was going into and we had to cut down the number of reporters that were allowed in that room, we worked very closely with the White House Correspondents Association to figure out who, because we have a free press, from their side would be the representatives. We were not the ones who would decide that. They were the ones who were deciding that. And so there's some guardrails that have really been taken away in this administration that I think we have to fundamentally bring back. But I know all of us were very used to those guardrails and we didn't break them. And it's nothing like what you saw in the TV series, The West Wing, that's for sure. (laughs) I still haven't seen that show, which I I still feel like I need to put that on my quarantine list. You're okay. You know... (laughs) Under Trump, we've just seen this so dramatically shift, you know, like this used to be the area that, uh, to your point, Darian, like on tours, everyone go and stand behind the podium. And it felt like such a a fun, accessible piece of the White House. And it turned into this really combative space. And so how is it that Jen Psaki and Kate Bedingfield are going to work to, you know, kind of reimagine or more even than reimagine, resurrect what this press briefing was supposed to be, which is getting information to the American people that when, you know, when Fauci and experts come up to the podium, you're actually looking for guidance and information that is useful, whether it's for the pandemic or the economy. Well, so I've had a number of Republicans be like, you know, the press was never as hard on you guys as they are on us. And that's why it's contentious. And I think that's a lot of BS. I actually do think that there was a lot of contentiousness. You know, I remember John Carl was very hard on us. Because that's the job of a skeptical press corps. We are not supposed to have a paparazzi that just blesses everything that an administration does. And look, like a president is dealing with so much that they can't share with the American people because it's a national security secret. And it's not like you're supposed to go out to the podium and tell everyone that the country is under threat because it is every day. So it's like, you know, that fine line of getting them the answers that are truthful, but not getting into a war that's partisan in nature that like is blaming the republics on everything (laughs) is what I want to see. Well, I think that it's about having mutual respect. And I 
think that we showed in our administration and previous administrations that there is respect for the press corps. And now it has become so incredibly combative, where you have the president calling reporters names, telling them they're lightweights, that they're fake news. The growth of the idea that the press corps is reporting fake news came up with this administration. You're completely right, Darren. I mean, there's actually like name calling going on because people ask the question. And I also think it's really comparing apples to oranges about also the nature of the questions because Mm -hmm. we're in a pandemic right now. And so the nature of these questions is to understand what is happening. What is the response? What should we be doing? Are these things that we're hearing are real? And they're actually not that everything that comes to White House isn't urgent, but this is having daily implications. And so I think you're seeing obviously a lot of frustration from the White House press corps trying to get these answers. And it's a lot of times felt like they were being stonewalled. No, I think there are times when I reflect on what we did that I think, well, did we make the right decision? Because in an effort to get to more people, a lot of times, you know, we would invite in people like Between Two Ferns, Zach Galifianakis or something like that, who's not a member of the press. And, you know, there was an opportunity to try to tell President Obama's story. But in doing that, I think that we may have changed some of the guardrails so that when Trump came into office and decides he wants to do a sit-down interview with Fox News, which is a partisan organization, or with uh, OWN, which is a propagandist organization, he has the ability to do that unchecked. And I was just watching today even when President-elect Biden was doing a press conference, Uh, CNN was covering it, and Fox News wasn't. And the choices that they make in terms of what's newsworthy and what's important, that's a whole other thing that, you know, there's a back and forth on working with the press corps to try to cover important moments that didn't happen with the Trump White House because they just were covered every minute of every day all the time. And I think the press has some repair work as well as the staff, on what that relationship's going to be moving forward. So let's talk about some of that repair work that's going to need to take place under Biden. What does this new communications and press team have to do to repair and rebuild and really bring things back? Well, in the way that the Trump campaign talked about making America great again— Kate and Jen and the entire communications team has to work on making the White House accessible again. This is the people's house. And we are held accountable to the people who elected us and the people that we govern. And you have to create a message that talks of that and speaks to the work that this administration is doing on behalf of the American people. We're going to be entering a very unique time for the press shop of the White House, which is In the beginning of the Biden administration, we're going to have a vaccine that will be rolling out. So when you're talking about the communications, it's important here. The Biden administration's relationships moving into not only, again, media that they feel comfortable with, but all media. You can't pick and choose here. You need to be able to communicate across the country, whether or not people are your supporters or not. We're all in this together if we want to really get past COVID. 
So we're looking at utilizing, again, constituency media that's going into communities of color in order to make sure that we're talking about this in a way that's connecting with folks and not politicizing it. They're going to need to talk to conservative outlets and make sure that this doesn't feel, again, like it's they're only talking to their own supporters. This is a message for all Americans. So we're actually going to see the White House communications team immediately take on a huge communications challenge, but also opportunity. And if they message this right, it can really help the country feel like the Biden White House is talking to them. Yeah. Well, I think they need to bring about transparency and honesty Mm -hmm. as much as you can, right? I remember early in the Obama campaign, and it's referenced a little bit in his book, but there was a moment where we were in Cedar Rapids getting ready for an event uh, for President Obama was going to come on this campaign event. I don't know if you guys remember this, but we were waiting in Cedar Rapids and they said wheels down and we were like waiting. And Rick Seiger, who's one of our colleagues, was at the airport waiting and he's like, where's the plane? The plane had landed in the wrong airport. By the time we found that out, we had actually already started all the pre-program and everything, and I already had a bunch of press backstage to interview President Obama before he would go out on stage. And I remember this moment as a really telling moment because I had no idea what to do at the moment that you like figure out, okay, holy crap. With Secret Service on the plane, this was during the campaign, not during the White House, but during the campaign with Secret Service on the plane, somehow the plane has landed in the wrong city. And so am I supposed to tell press off the record that that is the case? I was so scared as to what to do. And I remember when President Obama walked in the room and uh, one of the reporters asked him, so what what took you so long? And he goes, turns out we landed in the wrong city. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> Oh, like, thank God he just told the truth. And, you know, that is so important because when you try to stack up like the lies, like you have this big inaugural crowd when you don't. And when you stack up the lies like there isn't a pandemic when there is like there is a distrust that builds over time. That's hard to get back. And so, you know, I really hope that they follow President Obama's mold. And even when it's ridiculously embarrassing, just tell the truth. Well, that's what we saw in the beginning. And I know that we all had high hopes for Kaylee McEnany and that she would when she answered that question about whether she would be honest and truthful with reporters and with the American people. And she was asked, I think the question was, will you lie? Will you commit not to lying? And she said that she essentially would. I don't know that any other press secretary has ever been asked that. But the idea is that you were getting factual information from the White House communications team and from the press secretary and that the relationship between the press secretary and reporters is not adversarial. That's not what it was intended to be at all. And we've seen so much change in that, that now it's going to be really beholden on this comms team to roll out a new relationship building with reporters and with press agencies to ensure that they're able to speak to the facts as they happen. People are paying a lot more attention to the 
the media and the communications that's coming mm-hmm. out of the White House now than they did before. And it's interesting because, you know, when we were in the White House, we, to your point, Johanna, started experimenting with different ways of getting in front of folks, whether it was doing things with Funny or Die or, you know, doing things with different kind of radio stations. Like we wanted to be creative about how we reach people where they were. But I mean, we it got a lot of attention because President Obama was very popular at the same time. The the rapt attention that the country has been on of every single communication that comes out of the Trump White House is at a whole nother level. And the folks that are Obama and even Clinton or even Kerry alumni that are a part of this team are going to have an interesting challenge and opportunity to try to adjust to the way that the fever pitch of communications coming in and out of the White House has adjusted to to the Trump reality. Well, and most White Houses come in and you have to learn a little bit about the dynamic between you and the White House press corps. And the White House press corps is normally there for a lot longer than just one president. And so Mm -hmm. they have a certain protocol with the White House Correspondents Association. And that was one thing that I had to learn about, like that challenge of being fair, fair to all of these journalists who have been there for a very long time. It is about freedom of the press. You know, that is the biggest challenge they have ahead of them because I learned the hard way, and it was in Copenhagen at the climate change conference, that when we didn't get an editorial person in the room, even if the video was super compelling, the White House Correspondents Association had a rule that you had to have editorial Um, meaning a writer in that room, someone who could see it for themselves, which is different than how the the world's press corps operates. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of protocol in the U.S. that have been, you know, established to make sure that there is free and fair press and that we are respecting that free and fair press. And I think that that is something that if if right out the gate, this White House press office has a fantastic, like they just need to open it up to the White House Correspondents Association. And let's talk about how we can work together better. What have you been through and what are you going to see that we need to change this time around? I've been very reflective of like the limited oxygen that all of the team, like our extraordinary people, got during the Obama uh, administration because we were so focused on boosting President Obama and his initiatives and everything that he was doing that we probably didn't lean in enough to uh, building the spokesperson and personas that we had throughout every agency. One thing I really want to see is I want to see them actually build up all of these different people. And I think you're seeing that with every announcement that they're making. They have like their pictures and their names under it. And so it's really not going to be just like the Biden show. It's going to be America's show Mm -hmm. with all these different experts who can speak to the different Um, issues that they're briefed on. Well, it creates a humanizing effect. You see that these are people who represent the diversity of America, as opposed to what has happened in this Trump administration. And it also really, it takes away from this constant 24-hour news cycle where Americans have kind of grown used to the drama 
that comes with that the reality TV show kind of atmosphere that exists in the way that they present their press. And it helps to bring that back. These are real Americans working very hard and tirelessly to bring back a sense of normalcy. Every press briefing, though, shouldn't be blasted all over every social site and every new site. And people shouldn't be gobbling that up. I don't think that that's normal, but it's what we've grown used to in this administration. It's not normal. It's not healthy. And I think we all feel like (laughs) we've almost been oversaturated with news. I mean, look at even the political podcast space that we're in ourselves, you know, all of these political podcasts that have grown exponentially over the last four years, because people want to talk about this. I mean, this is why you guys are listening to us right now, you want to know what's going on and how to make sense of it. But I, I have a slightly different Uh, view on this. It's just, I don't, I think it's going to shift. I don't think it's going to change because I don't think Trump is going to go away. I think he's going to find another platform, maybe even one that he creates himself, that he's going to be able to continue to pelt us with his version of the White House briefing every single day and find a way to stay relevant for his own political and professional aspirations and for those of his kids. So I, I think the White House, I agree with you guys that it's definitely going to settle into something that is more manageable for all of our um, nervous systems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I but I do think that there will be a new lane. And I don't know what that is yet. I think we'll probably see it start taking shape over the next few months. And you're going to have to hope that this administration, in Michelle Obama's words, when they go low, as we expect Trump and all of his cronies will, that the Biden-Harris administration is able to continue to remain high and above the fray and that they're actually taking control of the messaging instead of letting the messaging and Trump's rhetoric, as we know it will continue, you're right, Alejandra, that they are able to stay away from that. It's not relevant anymore. You are gone. I was going to say, too, Darian, to your point earlier, I actually think that the Trump team, because of their reality TV background, was very good at at putting all sorts of people on all sorts of different uh, news networks and like really, you know, putting him out there to answer any question from anybody. But the, the, the issue was not whether they were accessible. It was whether you could believe anything that they said to you when they were giving you the answer. And so I think that this administration is really going to have to balance that fine line because the truth is when you don't have all the information and you will never, even in the best of a prep session for a press secretary, they are never going to know every answer to every question that when they go out there, they're going to have to say, I'm going to have to get back to you on some things. So hopefully um, with the ability to rebuild trust and get enough people out there who can give some, you know, answers and get the oxygen going. Um, we can, you know, start to combat the offense that that Team Trump played. Well, there was a different bar for people who went out to speak to the press in, in our White House and oh, I think yeah. probably in every other White House before ours. And so, you know, you saw people that did not have expertise or experience going out and speaking on issues or even being the person who was guiding the policy. And so, uh, I mean, that's that's a no-brainer that going into a Biden White House, the people who will be speaking to press will be the issue area experts. 
or the communications people in that space. So uh, that at least you know that you're not going to just be getting someone's cousin who got the job because God knows why. It's a return to trust and expertise. And hopefully people that the American people can come to rely on to be truth tellers. Yes. Well, this team certainly has the experience. I mean, if anyone can do it, I know that they can. And that's why our POTUS of the week for this week is Jen Psaki. Again, our new White House press secretary. She was communications director in the Obama White House and spokesperson for the State Department. And as Johanna mentioned earlier, she was a CNN political commentator. So she's experienced this from every single angle And we all worked with her and are so, so excited to have her at the podium. So congratulations, Jen. We are thrilled for her and for all of the other incredible and amazing dynamic women who are a part of this communications team. Our shout out of the week this week goes to Sarah Fuller, and she's a goalkeeper for Vanderbilt's women's soccer team, who this weekend became the first woman to play in a Power 5 football game, and she delivered the opening kickoff of the second half for Vanderbilt against Missouri. She executed a squib kick to the 35-yard line, and as her coach said, she delivered it perfectly. So congratulations to her, and we hope to continue to see really big things from her. Well, we look forward to welcoming some of these incredible women onto Pod as a Woman and having some conversations that we can share with you guys. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, remember to subscribe so you will be one of the first to hear our latest episode. And we always love your ratings and reviews. It helps us build visibility and get our content out to more Podduses. Again, we're on Thursdays now. So remember to, to check in with us on Thursdays for your latest episode. And thanks for listening and talk to you next week. 